Hello and welcome to the Ultra Working Podcast. I'm Sebastian Marshall. Chris Natterer and I are going to be talking about something from the Sports Performance Bulletin today. Competition psychology, up for a challenge or under threat in the endurance psychology section by a Dr. Adam Nichols. Looked at some research, lots of research about how people kind of perceive in the feedback loops of perception and mental processing when you're in a stressful situation, right? So, you know, here at Ultra Working, we're very into uh, statistics and biochemistry and operations and things like that. We're not really into like woo-woo stuff, you know, just get pumped up and be pumped up and like get your pump up on and then you'll be pumped up and nobody will stop you. We're not, we're not really into that. Um, I don't know, this might sound like the edge of that, um, the term, the terms that uh, this uh, this researcher uses are threat state and challenge state. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes in academia they love these terms. I, I don't, I don't know if these terms are exactly precisely accurate. Threat state, challenge state. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it kind of sound like good band names. I'm in the threat state. Yeah, no, 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 right. But. It actually maps to real physiological phenomenon. There's some good research on it. And so we'll talk about, after we overview what these are, we'll talk a little bit about the physiology, what's happening biochemically, what's happening with uh, things like your blood flow and your heart rate and stuff. It's fascinating stuff. It's real, real stuff. And we'll talk a little bit about some local solutions to do if you're feeling a little bit under threat. And then we'll bring it home with some uh, classical ultra-working irresponsible speculation Um where we disclaim that we don't know what we're talking about, but maybe we do. And we're going to speculate as to whether it's possible to globally uh, extinct a pattern of ever feeling like you're under threat. It kind of my anecdotal thing is I think that's asymptotically possible. I think you can approach that like a calculus asymptote where it's maybe not totally extinct, but you can increasingly just make it go away. Um, we got a lot to cover, Chris Natter. This should be an interesting show all the way around. Uh, we got some research. We got some some biology. What's what, what's going on here? Challenge state, threat state. Don't love the phrases, but it's a real concept. What's 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 this challenge state, threat state thing all about? So I think these uh, states, these different physiological and psychological states, as they're called here, they live on a continuum. I do believe so. If you're confronted, in this case, if an athlete is confronted with a challenge, with a situation that um, they have to overcome, it really depends to a certain degree how they are assessing that situation to, to match up against their perceived capabilities. And um, if they're encountering a challenge that requires their, you know, concerted effort and attention to overcome, but is within their perceived capabilities, um, then this puts them in this specific state that's called the challenge state, which is characterized by a physiological arousal and a cognitive activation and associated with increased motivation and performance. So if you know, hey, this is a challenge where I really have to do my best but if i perform well i will be able to overcome this you're in this challenge state and this seems to be very beneficial from the from the research here 
Um, going beyond that, if you encounter um, the same situation or a slightly different situation that seems or that you perceive to be um, a challenge beyond your capabilities. Um, now, this might put you in this second kind of state called a threat state where you feel overwhelmed, anxious, and maybe stressed as a result. And you don't want to be in this state because this state um, doesn't lead to anything that will actually help you overcome the challenge, but is characterized by a um, cognitive inhibition and associated with decreased motivation and performance. And um, I had to think about our evolutionary history when I when I read this, and it's it kind of seems logical. Um, if you're encountering like a day-to-day -day situation that is that doesn't really require any spe specific um, activation of additional resources, you will just you will just handle it. Your arousal won't go up. Um, your, your physical and physiological state will not change. Um, but then as you as the as the challenge level increases, your body um, you know starts regulating some of your neurotransmitters and there is actually something in the paper which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but it will you will feel um, like your body still thinks that it can handle it. And as you further increase the challenge and now you're getting into you know danger territory where, your 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 mind is actually not sure if this a challenge can be successfully overcome. It kind of makes sense that you know uh, I think all of the all of our ancestors who, in the face of that, maybe potentially high threat, still were like really motivated to pursue uh, this this threat. There was probably a bit of a, a weeding out process. So I think this is where the I would assume that this is where the, the, this is coming from, the, the history of these different uh, physiological states. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense evolutionarily. And to bring this just down to the ground for people, I mean, we'll talk about the biochemistry in a second, right? So any time that you're getting something at the edge of your capabilities, that's going to activate your sympathetic nervous system, which is the switched on, go get them, not the parasympathetic nervous system. So both of the whether it's a, just a challenge, it's like, hey, this is at the edge of my capabilities. I got to be dialed in. Is going to activate your sympathetic nervous system. So is being under threat. Is going to activate your sympathetic nervous system. And so that's you know associated with all sorts of like, you know, if you see a bear, you know, in the woods, and you're bear hunting, and you're like, I'm going to get that bear, right? Your sympathetic nervous system switches on, and you get whatever the heightened awareness and the, the you know blood flow and whatever, right? If you see a bear and you're like oh crap, there's a bear, I got to run for my life. That's also going to activate your sympathetic nervous system, but it's going to activate like a different mix of stuff. Cortisol is higher um, in the threat state. And I'm, I'm not sure off the top of my head why does like cortisol lead to like better like blood clotting or something like that if you're wounded or does it, does it, does it, uh, it these, these, these hormones do filter back into behavior. So are you more likely to, to flee? Um, you know, in a, in a snap judgment of a moment, uh, you know, whatever, I, I'd have to look a little bit deeper into the biochem and, and relate it more. But 
when I think about this in practical terms, I think of two things. One of them is uh, is our friend is our friend Luke McGurn. I think you've gotten to know him a little bit. He's a, he's a good friend. He was an ultra working customer. And I got to know him a little bit. He's a great guy. Um, he was uh, he won the state championship in wrestling um, in Florida. I, I believe it was a state championship. I have a regional championship, something. He ran won some wrestling championship. I think it was a state in uh, in high school. But what happened with him? He said what gave him a huge huge boost and what helped him win is. Uh, the year before he won, he went as not as a participant, but he went as an observer. He was like an alternate for his high school team, right? And he went and he like watched everyone wrestle and he's like, oh, I thought at the state championship everyone would be like a lot better than me, but like they're like about as good as I am, maybe a little better, right? But like I, I could like if I train hard and I'm ready for this, I could beat I could beat these guys, right? Like I'm like, man, like it's too bad I'm an alternate. I wish I could be in the, 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 the match. I wish I could be wrestling here, right? So next year he trained really hard and he was like, I saw the best. They're not a lot better than me. I'm going to train my butt off. And then he shows up ready to go and he wins. Right. So that makes sense. Whereas like somebody that gets there the first time that hasn't had that experience, like, Oh, how am I going to do whatever, you know, might be a little bit intimidated. Maybe they make more defensive moves than aggressive moves. Um, I know personally, um, I'm not a very good chess player. I think you and I played chess a little bit and I think you won. Um, But I know sometimes, you know, you start to play a game of chess and like the other person's like clearly better than you. They're more sophisticated than you. And sometimes you're like, oh, I better defend all my pieces. And it's like, you're going to lose. <laughs> like you got to like pick yeah. a game plan and do it. And that's usually with some, yes, some defending, but but also potentially some counterattacking and opening up some threats and not just looking at, oh, no, how do I cover my pieces? But like, hey, how do I how do I fork some of their pieces or get a reveal going and, you know, uh, put some pressure on them back? Right. Um, I've seen this in shooter games as well. You and I sometimes play some shooter games and. You know, if you get just hyper on the defensive, if you if you're up against a player that's much better than you, well, I mean, then they're just going to like slowly just or quickly kind of run you down. You know, you got to be like, okay, like, let me find my spot when they're open and like, let me, you know, go bang, bang, bang and get them right. Um, A second one that I don't know, this is just like speculation as a layman. Maybe this might be one of those illusory phenomenon that. You actually look into it and it's not true. But I think when you have like an invincible champion like Mike Tyson undefeated in his prime, right? People go in and I bet some people go in like, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose to Mike Tyson. Let me put up a good fight. Let me not get my block knocked off. Let me not get hurt too bad here, right? So they're boxing not to lose, not to get hurt, not to get humiliated. They're not trying to win. Well, right. then Mike Tyson goes up against a guy who was, you know, hats off to him. He beat Mike Tyson, but was not regarded as a premium, premium ultimate fighter, Buster Douglas in Tokyo. And Buster Douglas beats Mike Tyson. And it's like, Mike Tyson's mortal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And suddenly Mike Tyson starts losing a lot of matches. There's some other things going on. His trainer, who was like a legendary boxer, boxing trainer, Customato, had passed away. And he was a major influence in Mike's life. And there's some interesting documentaries about it. I also think about one more, American Baseball. American baseball, there was a, a closer um, who's the person that pitches if you have a, a little tiny lead at the end of a baseball game for the New York Yankees named Mariano Rivera, right? And Mariano Rivera was like almost unhittable. He was like invincible. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's like really one of the greatest pitchers of all time. He would just beat everybody. And you'd get up at the ninth inning. And your team would be down a run. And you're like, there's Mariano Rivera. I hope I don't embarrass myself. And you would strike out. You know, you'd hit a little weak ground ball and you'd be out of first base. Except my team, I'm from Boston, so I got to watch the, Yan- the Red Sox beat the Yankees in 2004, which was really like 
I don't, I don't follow mainstream sports as much as I used to, but that was a really cool experience, right? The Red Sox were the only team that had a couple of like fluke hits against Mariano and like won some games against him. And suddenly, all of a sudden, the Red Sox, who were a really good team, would get up to the plate of like, hey, we beat this guy like a couple of times. Yeah, this guy's not an invincible guy. This guy's kind of a bum. We beat him already. And like, it, it became like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So like at the end of, of like those like late seasons, this was towards the end of Mariano Rivera's career, he was like invincible against everyone except the Red Sox and was terrible against the Red Sox who just smoked the ball against him. So I would, I would think, I would suspect, this is speculation, who knows, that a lot of players would get up against Mariano Rivera and say, I've already lost. I'm against the greatest closer of all time. He strikes everybody out. He like never gives up a run. Hope I don't look stupid up here. Right. And the Red Sox get up and they're like, oh, Mariano Rivera, we got this guy's number. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're going to we're going to smoke the ball uh, against this guy. He ain't going to be able to stop us. Right. So. You know, I think we've all had those experiences. I've certainly had it playing chess against someone's more sophisticated than me when I start playing not to lose. Oh, no, maybe this person's going to trick me and jack me up. And like you'll lose sooner or later if you're not trying to do any sort of game plan. Not like I was aggressively playing for a draw or something. And, you know, trying to trade off and stabilize or whatever. I was just like, oh, no, no. He took his night out. What, what if, maybe he's going to do something to me. And, like, and you just lose if you do that. But if you're like, okay, like, hey, where's the weak spots in his structure? Like, okay, do I need a defender? Like, maybe I can counter and put some pressure on him. You know what I mean? Like, that's how you have a shot, right? So when you, like, don't even try to win, yeah. right? So this is, like, this is, like, credible to me. I've experienced this personally. I heard Luke's story about, like, he saw, hey, I could beat these these guys. And then did the next year. You got the the Red Sox versus Rivera, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, this seems this seems quite plausible that when someone's like, it's no hope here. You know, professional yeah. athlete, you know, they has to still have to go up to bat. They're not like, oh, Mariano's there, I give up. But they go up kind of passively. They probably got their cortisol going, according to this mm -hmm. biology thing. And and they're not like, let me go have a very strong at bat and give this guy everything I got. I can hit. You know, I'm I'm in the the pros for a reason. I'm in big league ball right. for a reason. Let me go. Let me go try to hit that slider um, as good as I can. Let me concentrate. Some of them are like, eh, I'm gonna get out, right? And they do, <laughs> right? And like, it seems quite reasonable to me that they would have different biochemical reaction. If you're dialed in of like, I'm gonna hit the ball against this guy, you're like very alert. And if you're like, oh no, hope I don't look stupid, it, it, it seems very reasonable that there might be a different biochemical reaction to that. So the intimidation factor is absolutely real. And they talk about this at the moment at the highest level of, of chess, where you have a very, very dominant uh, champion in Magnus Carlsen and people basically assume that they're going to lose to him. And so they actually start playing worse than they otherwise would because they're questioning every move that they make and double check and see if they haven't messed up or he will make a bad move, but they sort of, trust that this was a good move and look for the for the brilliance in his move and it was actually just a bad move but they don't capitalize on it because they're not expecting him to make make a bad move um and and, and they've talked about this like the, some of the highest level players have talked about that this is their psychology uh, going into him i i saw i saw one of these about tiger woods i didn't verify that this is true but it like sounds like the kind of thing that would be true that when like you so golf right in golf, you're not doing nothing to your opponent. Do you know what I mean? You know, in, in uh, you know, in chess, you're you're taking their pieces and, and and threatening their pieces and you know whatever. In boxing, you're you're hitting them. In baseball, you're trying to hit versus their pitcher or 
strike out their hitter, you know, whatever. Right. In golf, you're just like hitting the ball and like you don't really have any control over what anybody else does. You know what I mean? Maybe like if you're like if the other person has already finished their golf game and you're like behind. Right. Maybe you play more aggressively, you take some more aggressive shots. So there's a little bit of calibrating to the opponent a little bit. Right. But it's like it's golf. Right. Like you're not. The other guy's not going wacky with this with club. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no, you know, there's no, no, no direct physical confrontation or, you know, they're not, they don't get to like hit your ball away, you know, into an awkward place or whatever. Um, and I, I believe they found that like Tiger Woods at his prime, when he would enter into to golf tournaments, like other people would like play golf worse because he was in they'd be like oh no i'm gonna lose now that might have been that they were like correctly taking more high variance shots i I would see as an alternative explanation like hey like you know tiger is really good instead of taking the safe three hits to the to the whole thing i'm gonna try to get it in two i'm gonna just try to like chip it all the way up to the hole and maybe it even goes in but like then i'll one putt it but then like you get that wrong and it bounces off the other side or whatever maybe it's that but i also think like you say intimidation factor Right. Like they're just like, oh, no, Tiger's in this thing. And now you're not thinking about like, hey, let me hit a good shot and rotate through it. And I don't know. I don't play golf, but like whatever, you know, like whatever you're trying to do in golf. Like, let me just do a really good job at that. You're like thinking about Tiger Woods. Like, you don't want me to think about Tiger Woods. You want me to think about hitting the ball straight to the hole, like making good shots and putting well. If you think about Tiger, you ain't thinking about that. And if you're thinking, oh, no, I, I got no hope. I got this. This this was greatest golfer of all time. That can't be good for your, for your biochem. It can't be good for your power output. Like. Maybe it's not bad, but it certainly can't be good <laughs> to be thinking that way. Yeah, um, especially, so I wasn't aware of the changes in your biochemistry that come with these different states. And I can very much see that, especially in in sports where fine motor control is very important. Um, even, you know, being slightly inhibited and slightly maybe not as relaxed as you otherwise would, or maybe even being a little bit jittery potentially from, you know, two high levels of adrenaline um, can totally, it would be very hard to imagine that you can play at your best in a state like that. Yeah. Quoting from the sports performance bulletin piece, right? It's a little technical, but it's cool, right? The increased levels of S- AM, sympathetic adrenomedullary. The increased levels of SAM produce an increased heart rate along with stronger contractions from the left ventricle, it's part of your heart, which produces greater cardiac output. Increased SAM causes widening of blood vessels, vasodilation, and therefore a decrease in vascular resistance. There is also a release of fatty acids that can be used as fuel by the brain and muscles. It is these physiological changes that help initiate a person's attempts to cope quickly with any stress because there's increased blood flow to the brain and muscles. And that's talking about in the challenge state. Although there is an increase in cardiac activity when an athlete is experiencing threat, there's often increased vascular resistance, which means that there is likely to be increased blood pressure levels. As such, blood flow to the brain and muscles is not increased, and any fatty acids are therefore converted over a longer period of time, which is not conducive to coping with stress. I mean, that's fascinating, is that, you know, your body's like, okay, let's go, right? But if you're like, I can't do this, the like, let's go 
fuel reserves that are released in terms of those fatty acids, the blood flow and stuff, you can't, can't go, right? Um, and then the heightened cortisol levels. I don't know enough about the biochemistry of cortisol. I wonder if cortisol has something to do with like blood clotting or, or some filtering back into behavior or perception or something. I don't know. There must be something there. I don't know personally. But yeah, I mean, that's just fascinating across the board that if you think I ain't up for this, well, then your body ain't up for it for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not getting the heightened performance boosts that like the stressful situation performance boosts. You get them if you think you're up for it and you get less mm. of them or don't get them. If you don't think you're up for it, if you think it's more than you can handle, that's great. That's, this is mind blowing stuff really. Yeah. Right. This is super interesting. Um, I wasn't really, I was not aware about the, the underlying biochemistry and I'll look further into that. What I also found quite interesting are the sort of psychological, they call it constructs or maybe subcomponents would be another word to phrase it, that they, that the literature indicates could sort of be responsible for creating either the, the challenge or the threat state. And um, the three constructs here are uh, your ability to keep your attention on the important factors in the situation, your attentional control, um, your uh, belief in your ability to be successful in the situation. They call it self-efficacy. And the third one, maybe the even most, most interesting one from, the, from these three constructs is the way you approach the goal. What's the goal for you in this situation? And they they have sort of it's split up into four different types of goals and the first one is a mastery approach goal so if you're if you're an athlete in the situation striving to always perform better than your previous performance or at your personal best if this is your main goal if it's not necessarily winning or losing or it's how can I in this situation perform at my personal best or improve on my previous performance? This is highly uh, conducive to experiencing a challenge state and, and increasing your motivation. Um, on the other hand, the, the, the counterpoint to this would be going into the, the, the challenge, thinking, hey, I don't oh, want to do worse than last time. And this is a, they call it a mastery avoidance goal. And this is not conducive to, to performing well. And yeah, and it's, it's a kind of matches with what we just talked about in relation to playing to win versus playing to not lose. I feel like that matches up very well. And then the, on the performance side, so you have a mastery, um, dimension and a performance dimension so if your main goal is to perform better than your opponent or teammates in training that is also interestingly enough um, connected to higher performance so you're you're trying to you're basically not measuring yourself against yourself you're measuring yourself against the other players in the scenario 
and trying to you know compete with them. And I don't know. It, it sounds like uh, when they talked about Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, I, that's something I totally relate with them. Yes, they wanted to perform at their best, but they also wanted to be better than anyone else playing the game around them. Um, and I know the opposite side is the the last metric here, or last I mentioned is the performance avoidance goal, which is striving not to be the worst performer, which is not necessarily a very high bar. I just don't want to be the worst guy on this team tonight. This is not the the right mindset that you should have uh, according to this this, this document. That's here. so funny. Yeah, that is so very funny. Um, well, this ties into, you know, we want to talk about both local and global approaches to dealing with this. And there's some local approaches. This You've kind of set me up to talk a little bit more early about the global, right? Which is, I'm very uh, of the, this is like speculative. We're departing a little bit from the research and relying on a bit of anecdote and common sense. I know a lot of people that are very competitive um, in a lot of fields. Some of these are explicitly competitive things where you go compete, you know, athletically or or in chess or, um, you know, like Lee Knowlton, our, our, our CTO was actually like a, a, a pretty high level Super Smash Brothers video game player. He was also a, a, a track champion in the mile um, in high school and a captain of the track team. And, you know, he got two master's degrees at the same time, which that's also something you wouldn't call like competitive per se. You're not competing against anyone, but he, you know, does these bold things. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been, I've been into some things fairly competitively and done, done fairly well. Um, and so a lot of people I know are, are either like competitive in the traditional word competitive where you compete against people. Um, you know, our friend Greg Nance did the, uh, the Tartarus backyard ultra, um, a backyard ultra marathon is where it's like a course that you run the course over and over and over again. And once it goes into like the last person standing, and then, and then, and then it ends when the last, when everybody quits except for you, that's literally a competition. I was, I was on his crew on that. We actually did some, some really cool stuff there. Um, you know, and so I, I know some people that are, are, are very competitive and I'm, I'm of the belief that you can generalize these principles and stuff we're talking about to build like a, like a resilience about yourself, let's say, so that you default always get into maximum, like do you want to do X given activity at all? Like, I don't know. Like when I was younger, like someone's like, Hey, do you want to do this dangerous thing? I'd be like, sure. Let's do the stupid dangerous thing. And you get a little older and I'm like, nah, like I got a good thing going on. Like I'm not really into like, I don't really know how to, you know, paraglide off a cliff or something. You want to do this thing? I don't know. It's kind of dangerous. Like I'm not really into it. I'm not really a thrill seeker anymore. I'm not gonna do a stupid dangerous thing, but if I sign myself up for something, if I'm going to go do something, Right. If we, uh, you know, you know, Chris, if you said, hey, Sebastian, you know, let's go, let's go enter a paintball thing. Let's do a little paintball tournament. I would spend at least some time. I would dedicate some time and trying to understand, like, how do I be a great paintball player? Like, what's the, the moving, the shooting, the accuracy? How do I communicate with my teammates? How's the game scored? Are there different roles in the teams? Are we doing the same thing? Or is there someone that's like the cover person and the runner? Is it like capture the flag or is it elimination? Like, whatever. Right. And then I would like like practice and like try to win. You know what I mean? And then when I get to the match, I'm not going to be like, Oh no, what if I get hit with a paintball? What if I look stupid? What if I miss? I'm gonna be like, okay, what's my job? Like, what's my job? Am I the cover? I'm the cover guy. You're going to run out and try to grab the flag. And if anybody pops out, I'm going to like squeeze off two rounds in quick succession. Uh, very gently. <laughs> Is that the, the thing? I'm just going to lay down suppressive paintball fire or whatever we agreed my job is. And I'm going to come at it competitively, even if I haven't done it before. 
And like, if I'm the person running, it's like, okay, I'm going to like run with the form that we practiced. And like, I might get pelted and get called out. And like, that's okay. Like, I'm going to just like, not think about that. I'm going to think about whatever I'm supposed to focus on. If I'm supposed to dodge, I'm going to dodge. If I'm supposed to run a straight line, I'm going to run a straight line. I'm going to try to grab the flag. I'm going to run back. And like, I've never done paintball before. I've heard it gets, sometimes can hurt if you get hit with one of them. Like, don't care if I'm doing it. I'm going to like do it. And yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't always like this. You know, when I was a kid, there was like some, some things that like scared me and I'd be nervous or a little bit intimidated. And then like, I don't know, like, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but like, I think I was like, I don't want to be like that anymore and like let me train and it was like very kind of ad hoc you know an advantage something that i had that was nice was i had like no i had no like shyness like when somebody's really good at something i'd be like you're really good at this like how <laughs> like right in like a very like naive earnest kid sort of way and people are like really nice like you know like people are not everybody but like people are like nicer than you think they are right and like people that are like good at what they do when you're like complimentary and you're like how are you good at this thing it's really awesome um and you're just earnest and sincere and curious, people will like tell you. And like, you know, I just like would ask people are really good. Like, what are you doing? And like, I heard similar things over and over and over again. Right. This is why I believe it's possible to globally get there where it's like in anything I'm doing, I'm going to like, first off, I'm only going to do things that I like want to do and do a good job at. Like, I'm, that's it. I just won't do something if I don't want to do a good job. Like I will not do something at all serious like unless I want to do a good job because I think like going and doing anything kind of like bad like makes you bad do you know what I mean like I'll I'm happy to like not do anything com competitive but like if you ask me to join your paintball team Chris if you say we're gonna play paintball I'm going to like go do a good job because like I don't want to let you down and I don't want to be a bum and like I don't want to be the person that like shows up and is like a bum and like our team loses because like I'm a bum like I might not do well I don't know how good I'd be at paintball but I'm going to like do what I can to do good and like that will probably make me at least solid do you know what I mean? I probably won't be the best guy. There's probably people who been doing paintball for 10 years or something. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, probably not. Right. But I'm going to like practice. I'm going to like get a game plan. I'm going to like try to execute the game plan to the best of my ability and like focus on the game plan. So I think these things, and I think that's generalizable. You know, I'm really firmly of the belief that if somebody gets to mastery level or grand mastery level in like two, maybe 2.5 fields, somewhere between like 1.5 and 2.5 fields, then you could just generalize it and be like, hey, I'm good at two things. Like if you're really good at piano and like even like you win like the freaking like spelling bee, you know, in high school or something where you like spell a bunch of words. You know what I mean? Like these are like different things and you could be like, there's like patterns here and like let me bring spelling bee champ and like play Chopin really well. Let me bring that to everything, whether that's paintball or I'm playing some basketball or I'm, doing anything business creative work research whatever you know like you just i don't know what's doing a good job here do that and then like focusing on oh no what if i get embarrassed like i really think this is counterproductive and i think people can train themselves to like not do it ever i'm of the belief that that's conceptually possible and worthwhile so that you're like asymptotically never get into a threat state in your approach to this, do these psychological factors that, that we just touched on even come into play? Uh, do you, I mean, I think you need attentional control is, is an underlying uh, ability that you should have and, and I think uh, can train and improve on uh, definitely to some degree. This self-efficacy 
how would you how would you tackle that is that even how, how do you evaluate hey can i do a good job here yeah so there's there's two principles that fight each other so first off you want to be like a hyper a hyper realist and you want to understand what you're good at and what you're not good at so there's some stuff that i'm like bad at and i'll like tell people i'm bad at it right and like some of them i've trained really hard and i'm just like not great at that right um so there's that I'm of the belief that anything that doesn't, that isn't specifically one of my like definitive genetic weaknesses of which I have a few, like I've like racked up soft tissue injuries. I've like broken a couple ribs. I like, broke some bones in my hand. I like ripped up the cartilage in my knee. You know what I mean? I've like broke some teeth, right? Like I've like this, like I, I've never reached the highest levels of athletics. Cause like broke my hand fencing, rolled an ATV racing it and broke some ribs. Like my body just like, like it's, it's uncooperative. Do you know what I mean? Cartilage was slightly bad form, but I was like a young guy. I was like 19, slightly bad form with weightlifting with heavy weight during a squat. My right knee started to buckle and I like, instead of just dropping it in the rack, I, I, I threw all my weight on my left leg to re-rack the weight and I, and I ripped the cartilage in the left knee. Mm -hmm. So the right knee was getting shaky, but the, the left knee, I re-racked it instead of dropped it. And that's why the, that's why you do good safety and good form and you don't do heavier weight than you can handle. And that's why you, I, I, by the way, I think beginner lifters tangent, but I think beginner lifters like probably should practice like bailing out when things get shaky with like low weight and like people don't, like, I've never heard anybody, people teach you form, but they don't teach you how to bail out. Like maybe if you're on the weight intermediate, you should like learn to bail out if things get shaky. I don't know. Cause mm. I, I didn't know how. So I just like reacted awkwardly and ripped the cartilage of my knee. Right. Um, so like on stuff like that and stuff where like soft tissue injuries are possible. I'm like, okay, I gotta be like really, really careful. I was like having a beast running thing where I was like really racking up the mileage. I was like running six days a week, got onset of plantar fasciitis, tried to be a tough guy and trend through it, got worse. You know what I mean? So like there's stuff that I'm bad at. That's one of them. There's some other stuff, right? On stuff I'm not bad at, I'm just kind of like of the mindset that I will like, I will figure it out and be at least competent, if not exceptional, pretty quickly. And like, I think that comes from like getting really, really good at one to two things, like putting in the work, finding something that you're gifted in and inclined to training to really, really good in it. And then here's the thing I've tried to do this for people. I try to do this on our team. People are so freaking modest. Like, look, I don't believe in like being a jerk out in public, being a braggart and stuff, but people are too modest. They don't like own their gifts. So you, you hear me say this, somebody new on the team, or I just meet somebody, I talk with them that are clearly really good at something. They're like, Oh, I'm okay. I'm like, no, you're among the best. Like, no, like what percent of people like you, you like your lifts are where 99th percentile, 99.5, 99.9. No, you're one of the strongest people in the world. No, you should just like, that's a fact. Like you're one of the strongest people in the world, you know, physically strong or like, Hey, like you got into one of the top most competitive universities in the world. And then you graduated cum laude. Like, no, no, no. That took incredible discipline and hard work. And you're very bright. And like, you should own that. No, 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 no. I'm not saying like you should like pat yourself on the back and be like, ah, I'm like, no, you're capable of a lot. Right. And I think that's really useful because it, um, it helps people raise the bar. I feel like a lot of people shoot a lot lower than they could, especially when they've achieved something. And then I also think it's bizarre to me. It's very bizarre to me when somebody is clearly very, very gifted and accomplished in one domain, they go into a new domain and they act like scared. It's like, look, you're gonna figure it out quickly. Like, just figure it out. Just do the thing you did the first time again. And if you don't have any specific weakness here, you'll be at least quite good. 
you know, excellent, the, like the peak, like, can you be like the best? You know what I mean? Like if you take golf super freaking seriously, you're going to be Tiger Woods. Like maybe not. Can you be like a really good golfer? Like, yeah, probably. Unless you have some, you know, whatever. You can't torque your hips or whatever. I don't know. You're missing a, I don't know, like whatever. Like you, you have no elbow rotation. I don't, I don't know anything about golf. Do you know what I mean? But like, if you're not missing that and you like bust your ass and you like, I'm going to putt thousands of times until I putt perfectly. Right. You know, and you do that and you know, you get some film of your golf game and you analyze it and you break it down and you go into one of those computer golf things that shows you your swing and stuff. I did one of those ones. That's really cool. I feel like people who don't even like golf should do that where they like hit the golf ball into the wall with the sensors and they get to see themselves in the computer. Like the thing's so freaking cool. Right. Like I really enjoyed doing that. That was so cool. Right. And like, yeah, like, I don't know. Like if you're willing to train really hard, like, like I feel like anybody could in theory get really good at putting. If I got into golf, I would just like putt all the time. I don't really care about driving the ball. Like it's cool, I guess. But like, I would just be like the guy that just doesn't miss a putt. That seems very learnable. It's like putting. Like, like extremely elderly people can putt really well. You know what I mean? Like it's putting, it's like, you just concentrate and like, look at the angle and putt it. Right. So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. I do think actual genuine accomplishment as opposed to wishful thinking is the path there. So for the, the younger listener, right. For the younger listener, that's, that's just starting out. If there's somebody in high school or something like, I don't know, sometimes it's like not cool to like get really good. That's something like, oh, why are you so obsessed with that thing? And honestly, like, I feel like a lot of times people don't honor it. Like sometimes some, 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 some kid gets really good at video games at Counter-Strike or, or StarCraft or something and be like, hey, like I got better than everybody at Counter-Strike. Like it generalizes. I, I, got, I, got, I got nothing but respect. Yeah, maybe you graduate from Counter-Strike. If you're not going pro in it, maybe you graduate from Counter-Strike to things that uh, maybe have a long-term impact on your life. But absolutely that can generalize, you know, things like communicating with your teammates, Having good reflexes, reading the situation, anticipating other people, practicing, aiming, being cool under pressure, thinking fast. Like these are like, yeah, these are skills we use all the time. So I think just like owning it and honoring it, if you've got no high level at anything. And like, I think it's like between 1.5 and 2.5 things. You get good at one thing and sometimes it seems like a fluke. You get like really good at two things. You're like, that looks very similar. I like studied it, practiced it, worked on my weaknesses, worked on the fundamentals. It's like the same, like getting good at everything has its unique attributes, but it's like the same thing. You like understand the domain really well and get good at all the pieces and put it together. Um, and you get like good advice from people that are good and credible and you, you put a lot of time into it and, and, and you bring your full, full focus to it when you're doing it. It's, it's like the same, like everything, like you get good at everything the same way. Almost. Do you have any concrete advice how this retraining process could take place? Like what's the, it seems like there is an initial reaction when you encounter a challenge that, um, yeah, you might basically override your defaults and over time replace them with just a better way to look at, at the situation. Um, How do how do you how would you describe this? Like you said, you can train yourself to basically look at this in a different angle every single time. How did this in practice play out? I don't. So the first thing I'll say is I don't definitively know. 
I don't definitively know. And so I want to clarify that I don't definitively know. If somebody actually wants to and they say like, hey, I want to be able to be very competent and very cool under pressure and like focused and giving it the best I can in basically any situation I get into. If somebody has that, they'll figure it out. It'll take a while, but they'll figure it out, Mm. right? So I think like just the knowledge that that's possible, it's hard work, right? It's not, you know, being lazy guy or lazy girl, just kind of bumbling along. You know what I mean? Like you got to like do it. Um, But I think the knowledge that's possible and then like whatever, you'll have to, like different things resonate with different people. You know what I mean? Like, you know, somebody might be a, a... you know, a great admirer of, um, you know, someone that's a mountaineer, right. That, that climbs mountains and how they, whatever, set the pythons and get their gear and climb and free climb and deal with the cold or whatever. And somebody might greatly admire pianists and, you know, somebody else might be a, um, you know, visual artist and they might like do a deep study of Da Vinci's notebooks and study Da Vinci's biographies and, and see if they can emulate those patterns and look at how, Da Vinci did his studies into anatomy and perspective and stuff like that and be like, hey, what's the equivalent? How do I train? So I, I think there's a specific specificity to a person and their interests. And I don't think it's it. I don't think that's fully universal. So that's where I have a hard time um, defining it. But then locally, you know, I'm like very big into like identify very clearly what doing a good job in a situation is and then focus on doing a good job. You know what I mean? A lot of people are thinking about things other than doing a good job. You know, a sports team, again, a Boston sports team, the New England Patriots, they won like six championships, five championships in 20 years, five championships in 20 years, six, something like that. Six, six in 20 years, which is like crazy. It's like 30 teams. It's like an unheard of run of winning. Um, Like one of their models is do your job. Right. So you get under pressure, you get behind. It's like a legendary comebacks. Right. And it was just like, do your job. Like, okay, we're down like 18. You're the offensive lineman. Don't think about that. Just make very clean blocks. Listen to the play call. Look at the defense. Figure out who your guy is. Block them. Keep blocking them until the whistle blows. That's it. That's all you could do. And if everybody on the team does that, you got the best chances. If you're down 18 or something, you're probably going to lose. But you've got the best chances if you, like, listen to the play call, concentrate, look at the defense. Pick your person, block them, keep blocking them until the whistle blows. That's it. Like, so you could do, right? So I think just like figuring that out, like what's winning here, you know? So like, you know, you're, you're facing Mike Tyson, like what's your game plan? What's your job here? And it's like, he's going to tire out if we can make this go multiple rounds, keep him aggravated. Don't get hit with one of those like freaking killer knock your block off punches that he throws he's he swings like break a concrete wall down you know what i mean don't take one of those and like you know just get a couple of points keep him a little agitated let him wear himself out don't get my block knocked off for the first rounds play very defensive and careful but not in like a oh i'm scared sort of way but as like the game plan execute it and then you know once he starts slowing down you know take him out in round three round four whatever it is round five whatever i I don't know much about boxing. Um, so yeah, I think you just pick a game plan, you execute on it. And mm-hmm. I mean, that, I, from my understanding, that squares with all the research too, right? I, I think sometimes being like, hey, I'm going to outperform this person. I, I love that that's in there because it's not like la 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 nice advice. Like I'm going to outperform this person when they do something, I'm going to do it better, right? Um, that's good. I, I think 
like what's my job and how do I do it as well as I can and do that? I don't know. I, I prefer to lean on that than the, you know what I mean? Cause like, I don't know, just like if you do the very best execution that you can, I'm not sure that even modeling the other person's performance are not as necessary, but, but I don't know. I'm, I'm open minded on that, but people that are worried about like, Hey, am I going to look dumb? Like your hose do lose. <laughs> like, like you got to dump those thoughts. Like what's my job here? Do that. Yeah. And I, I think that's possible to just do universally. Right. Like what's my job here? Do that. Yeah, no, that's, that's very concrete, very concrete instructions, very, very applicable, very easily actually to execute on when you feel, um, just asking that almost as a first question, like what's the, what does winning look like here? What does the ideal execution um, look like? What are the, what do I have to do in terms of skills and, and knowledge to overcome this challenge versus going with that maybe initial response that you might experience? Yeah, really cool. Uh, definitely super interesting. It's It's great when you, we've been reading a lot of papers and I've stumbled upon so many terms in these papers and then you open them up and you you get the definitions and you find other things that are attached to them and it's just an endless network of of discovery and 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 further learnings it's super interesting yeah and it's and it's cool to both it's like a common sense thing hey play to win don't play to lose whatever there's like coaches have expressions like this but it's like hey when you're playing to win you know you've got more, you know, you'll, you'll metabolize energy faster. Do you know what I mean? And you've got less stress hormones and you have less whatever vasoconstriction or whatever it is like that. That's crazy. If you're like, Hey, I'm going to execute and give us everything I got. You know, and this is a challenging opponent. If I give it everything I got, I got the very best shot of taking them down and winning this game. And I don't think you need that bravado of like, I'm going to win no matter what. I don't know. Anecdotally, that doesn't seem like I think those people crumble under adversity. Like I feel like those those yeah. those people, like if they wind up behind, they don't fight back very well because it's very hard to. I don't know. Maybe maybe like uh, it's a bit of open whatever. But the biochem stuff very very interesting. You know, uh, very very interesting and in getting the theoretical foundations of that of like, okay, we're in a high stress high stakes situation. If we're like, hey, if I give this everything I got, I can rise as a challenge. I give it everything I got. I got a really, really good shot here. If I give it everything I got and I do my job as well as I can, if you're like, oh no, th- then then you, 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 your performance is going to suffer tremendously. Makes intuitive sense. It's a theoretical biochemical basis for it and potentially some some long-term lessons and, and short-term lessons around that. So yeah, gem of a paper, Chris. Um, really glad we got to do this one uh, together. This was like a bulletin. It wasn't like a full paper, but um, yeah, it was it was nice. It's, it's, worth a, it's worth a read, though we, we covered some of the high points on it. Um, and yeah, this is a fun show. And also for the listener, thank you for listening. You can always email us podcast at ultraworking.com. We love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Be well.